The Australia Together podcast is brought to you by Australian Community Futures Planning. We're helping Australians work together to plan a better future for their nation. Visit us at www.austcfp.com.au. Hi, my name's Bronwyn Kelly. I'm the founder of Australian Community Futures Planning, or ACFP, and this is the Australia Together podcast. Today, we're providing the first of four podcast episodes in our series on saving Australian democracy and sovereignty by building a new constitution. The series contains a reading of a four-part essay in which I discuss how Australians are being dragged into a full ceding of their sovereignty over our country and how, if we do nothing to reverse this, we will end up losing our democracy itself. I offer evidence in the essay that we are on the brink of losing both our sovereignty and democracy. We are closer to that than we think. To help prevent this loss, I suggest that Australia needs a new type of constitution, and I tackle some questions that, if we answer them well, should offer any and all Australians a way to build this constitution together. The new type of constitution I propose is one which gives a reasonable share of power to a party in our democracy which currently has none, the people. To substantiate this need, I pose four questions. One, why does Australia need a new constitution? Two, what's wrong with our democracy? Three, how can Australians take back their democracy and sovereignty? And four, how can Australians achieve a peaceful coexistence of sovereignties and self-determining political equals? I pose answers to all four of these questions, but at the outset it is worth noting that the answer to the last two is the same. The answer to how we can take back our democracy and sovereignty and achieve a peaceful coexistence of sovereignties and self-determining equals is for the people of Australia to establish terms of trust with the parliaments they elect. This will need to be done by mounting what I've called a national collaborative process for the development of a new Australian constitution. This is a process that should be run by the people of Australia, independent of politics. Listeners will note that the essay starts from a premise that Australians may well have already lost control over the one power they had in their constitution, the power to say who shall govern them. It is likely that this premise will be disputed, particularly by Australia's two major political parties, although I cite substantial evidence for it. But disputes about it do not detract from the need to stem the loss. And on this basis, I have suggested in the essay that the most urgent questions of our times are how do we rest back control over the choice of who governs us and how do we establish some control over what they may rightly do with power? Here's part one of the essay. Why does Australia need a new constitution? Short answer, to save our democracy and sovereignty. Australians are being dragged into a full ceding of their sovereignty over our country by a political system in which its two major parties of government have come to feel that they must capitulate to American demands for participation in military aggression against countries that have not attacked us. 
Since the days of the dismissal of the Whitlam government, an effective coup which is widely reputed to have been, at least in part, aided and abetted by the CIA, the Australian Labor Party and the Liberal National Coalition have both been driven to decisions on defence and foreign policy, more out of fear of being deposed through American interference than fear of being attacked by another country. America has displayed a far more brutal record of political interference and regime change in other countries than any other nation-state on the planet. As Brian Tuohy has reported, US foreign intervention is a matter of congressional record. The New York Times magazine reported on 13 September 1976 that congressional investigations had shown that the CIA in, quote, some 900 foreign interventions over the past two decades, has run secret wars around the globe and has clandestinely dominated foreign governments so thoroughly as to make them virtual client states, unquote. There are also numerous articles about the United States' record of foreign intervention since 1976 that are now freely available all over the internet. For instance, the Washington Post reported in 2016 that the US tried to change other countries' governments 72 times during the Cold War. And it is no secret that the collapse of the Soviet Union ushered in a fresh period of American global hegemony in world affairs. In the post-Cold War period, both Democrat and Republican governments in the US openly and covertly intervened, fought insurgencies and changed regimes in other countries. Australian politicians in the two major parties have not failed to internalise the warnings inherent in this display of the power of the United States in military aggression and regime change. Statesmen from both sides of our politics have called out the dangers of our alliance with the US, but as the performance of Anthony Albanese at the 2023 ALP conference has shown, both parties have now fully concluded it is more dangerous not to be fully aligned with America in military planning and aggression than it is to not develop a plan or capacity for the independent defence of Australia. To put that another way, they've both concluded it's more dangerous to stand up for Australia's independent sovereignty than it is to give away our sovereignty and inextricably shackle Australia to an imperialist and war-hungry America. At the ALP conference, the Prime Minister, in seamlessly linking keynote themes of the need for a second and third term in office with the need for suppression of debate about AUKUS, as though the former is now contingent on the latter, signalled that the days of control by Australian electors over their choice of governments may well be over. The degree of influence now exercisable by the United States in Australian elections, mostly with the aid of the Murdoch 9 news media duopoly, is now so serious that neither major party wants to allow even a chink of light to be seen between their policy platforms on defence and foreign affairs, especially if the chink reveals some spark of independence in sovereignty. Since the dismissal of the Whitlam government, the ALP has always been spooked by the potential of the US to depose it from office, and it no longer matters whether there is any truth in such an intention by the US. It doesn't really matter anymore whether 
theories about CIA involvement in the Whitlam dismissal and theories that the US will resort to regime change in Australia are true or not. The problem is that the major parties believe the Americans are the only real and certainly the most immediate threat to their continuance in office. They believe America is the clear and present danger. And it is clear they also believe China is nothing of the sort. Despite attempts by hawkish columnists such as Peter Harcher in the Sydney Morning Herald to panic people, and governments if they can, into thinking China has intentions to attack Australia in the 2020s or even as early as 2025, it is clear that neither party of government in Australia actually buys this theory. If they did, they would be completely unable to propagate and defend the efficacy of a program of submarine replacement that is not expected to result in delivery of submarines within 15 to 40 years, if ever. As it is, they can feel reasonably safe, or at least safer, in using outward professions of commitment to the AUKUS program to stave off their fear of regime change by the US, without at the same time engendering too much panic within the populace about some sort of imminent threat from China. They can imply the China threat and deny it at the same time. To the extent that this exposes Australia to having no independent defence capability, it's a very dangerous species of tightrope walking. So far, the ALP is managing to keep its precarious balance on this rope, but it is doubtful it will keep it for long. This is because there is a huge and obvious price that we must pay for the continuance of a system of government which has hitherto functioned simply to oscillate power exclusively between the same two parties, both of whom have now become nothing more than subalterns to the US defence establishment and its backers in the military, industrial and news media complex. That expected price is, one, sacrifice of our independent defence capability, and two, sacrifice of our sovereignty over land and in decisions on war, and ultimately, three, sacrifice of our democracy itself. It remains to be seen how quickly the majority of Australians might discern that we have been exposed to this level of risk, an existential level as far as nationhood and democracy go. At present, it might be thought that the majority of Australians are still seeking comfort in denial of the possibility of imminent failure or loss of control of our state, and are still disposed, as it were, to sleepwalk to yet more wars, perhaps assuming they will be fought in distant seas and will not disrupt our domestic economy or supplies of essentials. But eventually they will wake up, and sooner rather than later, if our ally in the US continues to ineptly or perhaps actively stoke explosive wars, such as those in the Middle East and Ukraine, and maybe some in our own Asia-Pacific region. Sooner or later, Australians will have to acknowledge that wars being fought or stoked ostensibly to save their sovereignty and democracy are actually the biggest threat to those essentials of nationhood. This is not to say that Australia's current political system offers all that much in the way of democracy, beyond a system of representative government. 
Most Australians complacently assume that because they can freely elect representatives, they live in a democracy and their votes give them a voice. But elections do not a democracy make, and a vote is not a voice that can be or even need be heard. Much more is required in terms of human rights and a reasonable share of power for the people to make Australia into a democracy worth the name. Our constitution establishes none of that. On the contrary, it establishes the colony of Australia as nothing more than a possession of a distant foreign monarch. Democracy is mentioned nowhere in it. As such, if we're facing the prospect of losing what little we have in our form of democracy, we're merely facing the prospect of losing control of elections. We're not losing any fuller form of democracy, one where we have at least some reasonable level of influence over decisions that affect us, because we never had that anyway. We're simply losing control of the stunted form of governance we loosely call democracy, but which is actually nothing more than a system of elections in which the electors must give all power away to those they elect, without conditions or limits. In elections under our current constitution, Australians therefore create autocratic rather than democratic governments. And this is only what we should expect, because in law and in all reality, Australia is a constitutional monarchy, not a constitutional democracy. If democracy is a system where people have at least a reasonable share of power in decisions that affect them, then a system in which all power is handed over in elections to governments without terms of trust as to what power may be used for and what it may not, is not a democracy. It is not government of the people, by the people, for the people. It is simply government of the people. Nevertheless, loss of our stunted form of democracy is still likely to be devastating, and to the extent that the loss arises now from a posture of complete obeisance by both major parties to the US on foreign policy and defence, it amounts to a full loss of the one power Australians have had in their democracy, the right to have the first and last word on who shall govern them. That right has effectively been ceded to the US, not by the electors, but by those who seek autocratic power in Australia namely the two major parties of government and their corporate backers. Due to the undemocratic arrangement of power in our constitution, an arrangement which accords no power to the people, they may as well not exist after they have voted. What Australians don't have and have never had and what they sorely need in addition to the right to say who shall govern them is the right to have the first and last word on the purpose of government – or more accurately, the purpose of their nation. They have no right at present to set down the terms of trust on which power may be safely handed over in each election, no opportunity to design the national project, the purpose for which we agreed in 1901 at Federation to form one indissoluble Commonwealth. Australians have never stated that purpose and until they have the right to state it and restate it as and when they think necessary, they will be unable to establish a relationship with those they elect that has the potential to rescue any and all parties of government from hostage to the preferences of any external power 
that may seek to override the rightful choices of Australian citizens as to who shall govern them. Australia's constitution leaves the electors and the elected alike with no understanding of the preferred character, values and destination of the nation, what I have called here the national project or the purpose of the nation. As such, it leaves political parties with no legitimate means of describing to Australians how a term in office by one or another of them will serve the real interests of the public and the nation now and for the longer term. By default, the Constitution forces political parties to develop policy platforms in a vacuum. In the 21st century, its silence on our national values and preferences for the direction of the nation has resulted in policies from the major parties that really do nothing more than hollow out our aspirations and replace them with the short-term and re-election interests of those parties, and worse than that, with projects that replace the national interests with the interests of external powers, particularly, in our case, the UK, the US and the corporate behemoths that drive them. And in the vacuum created by this constitutional silence on our preferences for the national project, an effective pact has been made between the two parties of government to do all that they can to keep out all newcomers, including minor parties, independent candidates and the people themselves from the arena of power. AUKUS is nothing more than yet another means by which the already near-zero power of Australians in their so-called democracy is being eliminated entirely, and this time with potentially dire consequences for the safety of the nation. This means that the most urgent questions of our times are how do Australians rescue their sovereignty and reinstate their right to have the first and last word on who shall govern them? And contingent on that, how do we rescue the potential that should be available in a democracy for some reasonable degree of influence, both as individuals and as a diverse collective, over decisions which affect us? In short, how do we wrest back control over the choice of who governs us, and how do we establish some control over what they may rightly do with power? The answer to these questions starts with the need to acknowledge that Australia's constitution is useless for these purposes. Designedly, it has no capacity to help us transition to a form of state which is inclusive enough to give Australians the necessary influence in all these matters. If Australia is to transition away from the colonial form of government in which it is subject to the agendas of external imperial powers and move instead towards a system of governance fit for a 21st century independent nation of free and equal people, we need as a minimum a new constitution, one that maximises the possibility of fully inclusive political equality and which defines the rightful use of power by all the willing parties to that democracy, namely the parliaments, the executive governments, the courts, the states and territories and the people. Only when those rightful shares of power are established will we be able to rescue political parties from servitude to external powers and by that strengthen democracy, take back our sovereignty over this beautiful country. In the next parts of this essay, I will enlarge on how that can be done. First by looking at where we are now in terms of the immaturity of our democratic arrangements 
and the societal and political dysfunction this immaturity has caused. From there, I'll be suggesting that the remedy for the dysfunction will require Australians to go back and solve some fundamental flaws in the way their democracy is organised, principally by making a new type of constitution, one which expresses their values and enshrines their rights, but which also enables them, as diverse equals, to efficiently articulate the national project as guidance for those they elect. Thanks for listening. The next part of this essay will be released on the Australia Together podcast next week. But if readers want to read all four parts now, the full transcript is already available on the ACFP website at www.austcfp.com.au forward slash major hyphen essays. Links are in the description below. Links to all the sources and evidence for the claims made in this essay are also available in the transcript. My name's Bronwyn Kelly, and this has been the Australia Together podcast, brought to you by Australian Community Futures Planning. To become involved in planning and building a better future for Australia, subscribe to ACFP at www.austcfp.com.au. Everyone is welcome to participate.